Have you ever been tempted to revenge? Something is said or done to you and you just feel like giving them back so that they can feel how you feel. The temptation to revenge is... uh, one that uh, as human beings we keep on fighting, trying to overcome. Because in this world there will always be people who will annoy you. Some of these people are your closest people and some of them may be people you meet when you are driving or <laughs> or at work you just there's something that you feel when something is done to you when you are mistreated and and then there is something that makes you want to do something so that the other person can feel what you felt and usually you want them to feel it even more than you. And as Christians, even though we know that uh, revenging is not something that we need to do, we are still tempted, and sometimes we fall into the temptation of revenging. We may not do something at times, but we may think of it. Right? And, and say things in our minds about this person. We are tempted to revenge, and at times we fall into that temptation. And as Christians, sometimes we even pray for the people that have hurt us so that God may hurt them also. We enjoy when we see them falling. It's the attitude, that vengeful attitude that we have. I want to see this person suffer because of what they did to me. It's not a Christ-like attitude, but it's a temptation that we all face. I mean, even children, they do. In fact, it's amazing how children are quick to revenge. You know, one will hit the other and the other one will respond so quickly. And uh, sooner rather than later, there is a fight going on. We want people that have caused us pain to feel pain also. I think Joseph is 
facing a temptation to revenge. He's being tempted to revenge here. We're going to focus on Genesis chapter 42. If you can open your Bibles there at Genesis 42, I would also want to remind us what we always remind ourselves here, that we believe that the Bible is God's word and that anyone that believes in Jesus is a child of God. And therefore, let's say together, the Bible is God's word for us. Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging your presence, acknowledging your power and your love for us. And Lord, as we look unto your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit who teaches us, who gives us insights, may help us understand it at our level and apply it to our particular lives. And that through every step of application, you may be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph has been given power. He is the second in command in Egypt. He's clean shaven. He's robed in a royal robe. He's like one of the Egyptians. He speaks their language. Egypt has food. The rest of the world is going hungry. So Joseph's father, Jacob, looks at his sons and he tells them, how long are you going to just sit there? I hear there is food in Egypt. Go there and bring us some food. So nine of Joseph's brothers, or ten of them, go to Egypt to buy food. When they get there, they meet with Joseph, but they don't recognize him. Joseph is speaking through a, an interpreter, a, an interpreter, someone is a translator, someone is translating what he's saying. Because Joseph is speaking an Egyptian language. So the brothers assume he is an Egyptian. Never did they expect to meet him in their lives. And he looks different. He's 30 years old now. He was 17 when they sold him as a slave. God has made it possible that they meet. Joseph recognizes his brothers. And when he does, he begins to mistreat them. Now many Preachers and commentators try to treat Joseph as a very good person, but I think the Bible is showing us here that he was facing a temptation and he was struggling in his heart. He was tempted to revenge. It's something that he was fighting. He calls his brothers spies. He says, after recognizing them, he says to them, you are spies. You've come to spy our land with the intention of attacking it. You want to know where we are weak so that you can come and attack. And they say, no. Look at verse 6, from verse 6 of chapter 42. 
Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when his brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. It's a sign of submission that is necessary for their survival. But it's also a partial fulfillment of Joseph's dream. It's not yet fully fulfilled because the dream included all of his family. But it's a partial fulfillment, and I think the bowing down actually helped Joseph remember the dream. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected so that you can attack. He remembered his dreams about them. And at this moment probably also remembers the mistreatment the stripping of his robe, him crying to his brothers to spare his life, them carrying him like a dead goat and throwing him into a pit so that he can die there, then pulling him out and selling him to Ishmaelites so that he can serve as a slave, Joseph crying, pleading with them. All these memories come to his mind probably. Then at Potiphar's house, he's accused and taken to prison where he interprets dreams and the king, Capbera, forgets about him. All these memories are coming back to him as he sees his brother. And I can assure you, as a human being, he must have been tempted to revenge. A few weeks ago when I went to, to Kenya, I was shopping in one of the marketplace and I met a guy that uh, we went to high school together. He was ahead of me and he bullied me. And we met face to face for the first time after high school. And immediately when I saw him, I remembered what he did to me and how angry I was that day. And to tell you the truth, I felt like dealing with him right there. And he looked at me and he said, oh, Valera, and I hear you're a pastor now. I was like, No, I said in my heart, my heart, yeah, <laughs> that is your, that, that's your rescue plan. You, you are safe now. And I said, yeah, I'm a pastor, but I still remember what you did. And he looked at me and, oh, you know, we were kids and all that. And, oh, but I, that wasn't good at all. 
I said, you, you still think about it? I said, oh, yeah. And then we talked about it, and it was done. But I could feel that it's like a hot potato that wants to come out, you know. I was tempted. I think I would have hit him there. I think Joseph is going through this emotional turmoil here with his brothers. That pain is being revived. And so, <laughs> look at what he does. In verse 17, in verse 17, he put them all in custody for three days. Joseph is being tempted to revenge. He puts his brothers in custody. After they have told him their story, we are sons of one father, we lost our brother many years ago. We've left our father with our youngest brother. And, and he puts them in custody. He tests them. He says, one of you will have to go back and bring your young brother so I can know that uh, you are sincere. And then in verse 18, on the third day, he said to them, he comes back to them, and he tells them, do this, you will live, for I fear God. Why does he say that? Why does he say that he fears God? Because he is reminding himself of what is the right thing for him to do. He is feeling the temptation to mistreat them as they mistreated him, but he has to remind himself that he fears God. That God expects him to do what is right. And this is the third day after they have spent three nights in prison, and, or two nights in prison. And he comes to them, he says, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, Benjamin, his brother, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They agreed with him. Now listen to verse 21. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. They are remembering what they did to Joseph, even though they have not recognized Joseph. What is happening to them brings to, our, to their attention what they did to their brother. We are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. What's going on? They are feeling the guilt. 
God has worked out these circumstances in such a way that he can bring back to their attention the sin they committed against their brother and against God. And Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now they're actually confessing it. We must give an account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. In verse 24, Joseph turned away from them and began to weep. He turned against them and began to weep. He remembered all that was happening and he could also see their guilt and then the temptation for him to mistreat them. All that emotional turmoil going on in his life, he had to turn away and weep. He cried out. He shed tears. Tears that reveal what he was feeling about his brother and the way he was mistreating them. Then Joseph gave orders for them, those who are returning, because one of them, Simon, decided to stay, and the rest returned home. He gave orders that they should be, re, they, they, that uh, when they're given their grains, they should also be given back their money, their silver money that they had come to buy grains with. And uh, on their way, one of them opened his sack and he saw that he's been refunded his portion of silver that he was supposed to buy grains with. And this is what they said. In verse 28, my silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Listen, their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? For the first time, the brothers mentioned God. First, they feel guilty about what they had done. Then they confess what they did to their brothers. And now they see that God is at work in what is happening to them. They are guilty. They are sorrowful for what they did. But I think in returning their silver, the author also is giving us a picture of God's grace here. See, God's grace is unmerited favor. It's something that we don't work for. It's something that we don't deserve. As sinners, we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve to die for our sins. We deserve to be separated from God forever. By God's grace, we have a way out. By his grace, God has provided a way out through Jesus Christ. He has provided freely the gift of salvation. This is what we deserve. God is providing us something else. 
We don't work for it. We just need to receive it. These brothers, in a way, are experiencing God's grace here by getting the grains and getting back their money. They don't deserve to have their silver back, but they have it. But this God's grace here is working out in opening their eyes to their sinfulness, helping, helping them realize that they have done something wrong and they are in need of forgiveness. The issue that stands out in this text is very clear. It is the fear of God. The fear of God. We see it in Joseph where it makes him sensitive to his motives. He wants to do something he's tempted to, but he's reminded that he fears God. And therefore, there is that, that push and pull. Am I going to respond according to the way I feel about this, about this person, or am I going to respond according to my fear of God, according to what I know about God and how God expects me to respond? In many cases, we are tempted to respond according to our feelings. But we also see the fear of God in the brothers that is making them aware of their sins. In Joseph, it makes him sensitive to his motive. To his brothers, it makes them aware of their sins. Like you and me, Joseph's brothers, even though they deserve God's wrath, they need God's grace. My, my son, Wilji, when he was young, he would do something wrong, and he would be so afraid of being spanked. And so when he's done something wrong, and he comes before me, and he knows that he deserves to get a spunk, and he's going to get it, most likely. <laughs> he would be so afraid that I would look at him, and I would feel pitiful. I would be merciful to him. But I also know as a father, I still need to spunk him. And you know, at times I would look at him and I would see myself before God. And the way God looks at me when I sin. And so I would spank him and then hug him at the same time. Because I want the best for him. And then as he grew, I realized that he, he kind of knew how to get me. 
And so he would come and he would be so humiliated when he's done something wrong, but I could tell, no, you are not. And that was another lesson that he needed to learn as well. I think each one of us, each one of us, we know that as sinners we deserve the wrath of God. And that's why many of us find it difficult to accept God's forgiveness for some things that we have done. We have Christians that are still living with guilt even though they have confessed their sins before God. They are finding it difficult to accept, to appreciate God's forgiveness because deep inside they know they deserve a punishment of some kind. That's why it's very helpful for Catholics to go and confess to the priest. Because when you go to that window and you know there is someone else on the other side listening to me and they can speak back to you and you can hear them and you tell them what you've done that week and then they tell you uh, you can uh, pray the rosary ten times and say the, uh, the prayer of Mary five times and then go and sweep the church or go and do this, do a good thing you will be forgiven. And then you go and you do all those things. You feel good about yourself. You feel that some, you, you have paid for something. That's why salvation by works works out for many people. Because you feel like you have paid for it. You didn't just get it. And then you come to the other side of faith where Jesus has paid it for you. You find it difficult to appreciate it and to accept it because you don't feel like you did anything and you are used into doing something. And that's where your faith encounters a test. That's where you are challenged on whether you really fear the Lord, you really believe in the Lord, comes in. The message in this text is, is simple. The message is, godly fear reveals our need for God's grace. Godly fear reveals our need for God's grace. You remember the thief on the cross? There were two thieves, right? One of them was mocking Jesus, and the other one, what did he say to the other one? Don't you fear God? You and I are here because of what we have done, but he is here and he is innocent. He has not done anything wrong. Don't you fear God? And then he turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you are in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today 
you will be with me in paradise. His fear of God revealed his needs for God, his need for God's grace. It is every time you realize that you fear God, you will realize that you need his help. Because the temptation to revenge will always be there. And you have to remind yourself that you are a God-fearing person. You may feel like punching someone, and then you realize, I fear God. And you stop. And people may think you are weak. There's a country song I heard some, some years back. It says, it's a father who is advising his son and says, you don't have to fight. Uh, you, you know it? Anyone knows it? You don't have to fight to be a man. And I, I think I saw a video of it, and this young man followed his father's advice, but one day he fought. And then he responded to his father. He said, sometimes you have to fight to be a man. Oh, sometimes you have to fight if you are a man. You don't have to revenge as a Christian. Because God has promised to revenge for us. And his revenge may not be what we want to see. His revenge may not be what we are thinking about. His revenge may be very different from our expectations, but one way we show that we fear him is by not paying evil for evil. It is Mahatma Gandhi who said, an eye for an eye will make the whole world blind. Godly fear, I'll give you three points here, comes from knowing that God knows everything about us and that he is transforming us. Joseph is where he is because that's where God wants him to be. And when he reminds himself of God's fear, then he has to also remember that everything that he has gone through was bringing him to where he is now. It comes from you and I realizing that God knows everything about us. He knows our sins, he knows our weaknesses, he knows our thoughts, and he is transforming us. When you have that in your heart and mind, you will find yourself responding differently. It also comes from realizing that when God reveals my sin, he is inviting me to be forgiven. Some of us may have 
done things in our lives that we brushed off. Let's say you stole something and you kept it. And maybe a few days you felt guilt about it, then you justified it in your own way, and life went on. And then something happens in your life, like it happened in Joseph's brothers. God uses those circumstances in your life to remind you of that thing. Maybe some of us right now are being reminded of something they did or said to someone that they never dealt with. It's an unconfessed sin. Maybe you need to return what you stole. And the Holy Spirit is bringing that to your attention right now. Whenever God reveals a sin to you. He is not tormenting you. He is inviting you to be forgiven. He is giving you an opportunity to experience healing. Maybe when that comes to your mind, you feel guilty about it. And... You don't know what to do about it. That guilt, that sorrow, that grief is an invitation for you to experience healing from the Lord. And therefore, my encouragement to you this morning is that if it's something you need to confess to the Lord today, Make sure you do it before you leave this place. Don't brush it off. The other thing is, the Lord restores our fellowship when we confess our sins. I think I have said this before. If you are a child of God, if you believe in Jesus, you have a relationship. You are in God's family. Right? Jesus has said, whoever comes to me, I shall by no means cast away. In John 3.16, we are told, whosoever believes in him shall never perish. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish and, and, and my father who has given them uh, to me is, is, is greater than me, and no one can snatch them from my father's hand. And then he finishes in verse 30, he says, I and my father are one. You are safe in God's hands as, a, as God's child, as a child of God. You have that relationship. Just as in your family, you may not like your, your family, you may not like your father or your mother, but they will never stop being your father and your mother. 
uh, some siblings here, you may have a problem with your sister or your brother. They will never cease being your sister or your brother. They will always be. Even if they move to a different country, they will still be your siblings. There is a relationship. That relationship cannot be broken. But the fellowship can be broken. And when we are living in a broken fellowship, as Christians, we are weak. And you know what breaks the fellowship? Sin. It is sin that breaks the fellowship. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I think Psalm 66 verse 8 or 18 says that. My son Wilj again and my daughter Regency, they love one another to death. But sometimes something small happens and they don't want to talk to one another. And you can see Wilj's face, there is a progressive darkening on his face. He becomes so unhappy, and then you look at Regency, and the same is happening. There is a distance created. Don't talk to me. <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me alone. The fellowship is broken. There is sorrow. There is grief. That's the same thing that happens when we sin as believers. You see, someone who does not believe, they don't have a relationship. So when they sin, they are sinning outside the relationship. There is no relationship. When they sin, they are doing what is expected of them. Because even when they do something good, they are still sinning because they are outside the relationship. If you're not saved, it doesn't matter how good you are. As long as you are outside the relationship with God, you are a sinner. You have fallen short of God's glory. But as a believer, when we sin in a relationship, we break the fellowship. And that's why the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, from verse 6 to verse 10, that if we Walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and his truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, in verse 10, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's talking about believers. For you to enjoy the joy of salvation, you will have to confess your sins to the Lord. Because sin breaks our fellowship. And therefore that fellowship is restored when we confess. No one 
No one gets saved without admitting that they have sinned against the holy God and they deserve, they deserve the wrath of God. Let me conclude this with 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance which leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Do you know that there is no repentance without grief? There is no repentance without grief. As someone who don't believe in Christ, when you are turning to Christ, it's when you realize that you have sinned against God and you feel sorrowful about it. There is some sense of grief that makes you desire to make things right. The fear of God reveals our need for God's grace. And every child of God need to have godly fear. Every child of God need to have godly fear. And this is my challenge to you, believers. Every time you find yourself in a, a difficult spot, you are tempted. Could be road rage, could be just road rage is, it happens a lot here. It could be something in your family or at work or even at church or something is said or done that annoys you that grieves you. Before you respond, ask yourself, are you motivated to respond as someone who fears the Lord or are you just moved by your emotions? And this is the same in our relationships. As spouses, as parents, as grandparents, ask yourself, when you are responding to the other person, are you responding as someone who, fear, who fears the Lord, or you're just allowing your emotions to come out? Because that's very easy. And if there is anything that the Lord has brought to your attention, there is a sense of guilt, a reminder of something that you may have ignored in your life, I want you to take a minute right now and make it right with the Lord. And if you are among those believers who have been struggling to accept God's forgiveness in your life because what you did or what was done to you or whatever happened in your life made you, it damaged something in you. And you're finding it so hard to forgive, so hard to let go. 
Make it a prayer request right now to the Lord. Ask the Lord to give you the grace that you need to let go. Ask him to give you the grace that you need to accept his forgiveness so that you, like David, can enjoy the joy of salvation, so that you can enjoy a healthy fellowship with the Lord. Let's take a minute right now. I'll give you a minute to talk with the Lord, and then I will pray. Please, let's bow down our heads. Or maybe there is someone that comes to mind that you may need to call or email or send a text because you've been bitter about them and, and you know it. And you want to do what is right because that's what the Lord is compelling you to do. Ask the Lord to give you the grace to do it. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Joseph's life that helps us to see you in a fresh way. I thank you for bringing to our attention, Lord, things that we may need to deal with so that we can enjoy this fellowship we have with you. And I pray on behalf of that one person here that you have spoken to, that one person that needs your grace to do what is right because he fears you, because she fears you. I pray that you may enable them, that, Father, you may use this moment to set them free from that guilt, that emotional pain, that they may experience your healing, and that, Father, you may use them in the healing of others for your glory. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the visitors. I thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.